chapter 12. Amen. We're going to be looking at verse 41 to 44. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't it good to be in the house of God tonight? Amen. Amen. I'm so excited to be here. And I mean that. Amen. Praise God. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. And it says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites. Everyone say two mites. Everyone say 2%. Which make a farling, and he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more, more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in, their, in, in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Everyone say all her living. Oh. Amen. Brother Brad, you want to open us in prayer, please? Almighty God, we thank you for your perfect purpose in this night, Lord, in this time. We examine your word. Thank you, Lord, for examining us, Lord, in the process. Open us to receive and apply, O God, your perfect word and truth. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I was going to teach this last week, but uh, as I was preparing my lesson, amen, uh, I hit a button and it all, but just a few paragraphs disappeared, so I, have to go, I had to go through it and redo everything. Uh, fortunately, when I sent Godfrey the title of this message, uh, he took it down and says, you know, he says, are you teaching or Brother Joe teaching? I said, well, why? He says, well, because Brother Joe had sent me his title. And I said, let him teach, man. <laughs> so it, was, it was the will of God, man. I, I'm not lying because I was stressing. I could have still taught it, but, but God knows. Amen. So I want to acknowledge Brother Joe, amen, for being, being vigilant. Even when he found out I wasn't supposed to teach, he was submissive, man. I like a submissive man. Praise God. Well, uh, there's so many things in life that we find value in. So many things that we we invest in. I remember me and uh, me and one man uh, in this church. Actually, we uh, went on a little investment escapade, if you will, and. Uh, you know how those get-rich-quick schemes are, amen. It wasn't really a get-rich-quick scheme, but uh, we thought it was going to be profitable, and it, it wasn't profitable, and we kept getting sucked in and sucked in, and I just said, you know what, there's, there's got to be a limit here. We can't, we can't do it, amen. Uh, but it, it's exciting when you invest in something that you feel that it's going to be profitable, um, there's a saying which states, one man's junk is another man's treasure. We could even say one man's value, the way he sees things, is, is his treasure. 
Um, and when you look at that from, an, from this aspect, um, some things in life truly are in the eyes of the beholder, um, depending on what you put value in. It could, be, it could be many things. There's a lot of things that appeal to us. Uh, it could be a job that's coming up that you, you see value in it, and so you invest in it. You want to invest in it. It could be, uh, could be a job where you have to buy materials that you, know, you invest in. It could, be, it could be many things. It could be something to enhance your life. And so I wanted to begin this lesson and, and give you guys this, this thought. I entitled this, The Value in Knowing Him. The Value in Knowing Him. When I think about investing into something, what is my idea of investment? Or I could ask you, what's your, what's your idea of investment? What is my greatest asset? What do I have to offer? If someone asked me to invest in something, what is my greatest offer? What can I offer a company when I go and apply for a job? Can I sell myself? Am I, am I worth the value? Are they, what are they looking for? Um, what's my greatest asset? Assets can be of a physical value, and they can come in many forms like uh, friends, um, money, talents, gifts, I guess. But assets can also be recognized in a non-physical sense like time, feelings, desires, emotions. These are real, real assets, and they affect every one of us. They, they really do. They affect every one of us. The definition of investment, and I wanted to... I wanted to pull this up and look at this. An investment is an asset or item acquired with the goal of generating income or appreciation. Appreciation refers to an increase in the value of an asset over time. When an individual purchases something as an investment, the intent is not to consume the good because it's not profitable. The intent, rather, is to use it to create greater wealth, to create wealth, to enhance what you're investing in. You want to be profitable. You're investing in something. You want to, you want to double your money. You want to double your talent. You want to double your gifts. You want to double your friendship. Whatever it is, you, you're, you're, you're investing in whatever you enjoy, whatever you desire to be profitable. And so in that thought, we must ask ourselves, how much are we willing to invest? Of yourself, of your time. Whatever you're going to invest, how much? How much do you want to profit? How much do you want to invest? How much are you willing to invest? And if we are willing to invest out of pocket, how much are we willing to give up? You can give of your increase, but are you really sacrificing? That's why this widow woman was such a, uh, such a memory in, in, in the Lord, in his mind, because he, he saw this woman and he, he loved her actions so much that he, read it, he wrote it down in eternity. We all see the picture of her 
giving of herself, she gave everything, the Bible says. Verse 44 says, and they all did cast in of their abundance. They made a show of themselves of what they were investing. They had money to spare. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Think about that. She gave everything. There was nothing left. She gave, she gave it all. So I have a question for us today. What did this woman see? What was her thought process that others did not see? What drove her to invest everything? How did she gain so much insight to look beyond the surface and into the deeper things? Whatever she saw, whatever she was willing to give up, whatever she was investing in, whatever her mindset was, and why did she do that? It's okay to do it, but why? What's the motive behind it? Maybe she felt, maybe she fell short in her previous marriage, her, her previous relationships. We all have previous relationships. It doesn't have to be physical. It can be whatever we involved ourselves in. It could be emotional, it could be our talents, it could be our gifts, it could be anything. Maybe she fell short in her previous marriage, her previous relationships, we don't know, but experience has a way of teaching us great lessons. It has a way of showing us, revealing to us who we are and what we're going to do with those experiences. When we get a second chance, when I get a second chance at life, how would I approach it? Will I approach it the same way? Will I approach the same scenario the same way? Or does it do something to me? Does it change the way I think? Does it alter my actions? Do I go down the same road or do I learn from experience not to do certain things a certain way? Now, maybe there are things in our lives. I know for sure there's things in my life that I cannot explain. And sometimes this can cause me to withdraw from giving 100%. 100%. And so again, I ask another question. Is it possible that we are holding on to a weight that is restraining us from the blessings of God? Are we just giving 98%? Are we only giving God a portion of what he desires? Because the Bible says, where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. So wherever your desire is, whatever you want in life, are you giving it 100%? Because the more you give in to whatever you're doing, whatever your desire is, the more you're going to receive. And if you give to the kingdom of God like this woman finally realized, then truly she was recognized by the master. And he was willing to remember her through all eternity. Matthew chapter 
13, 44 through 46 says, again, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hid in a field. It's hidden. It's hiding. You have to search for something that's hiding. To be hidden means something that is under the surface or out of sight. It's there, but you just can't see it. There are things that God has for us, but these are areas in which we have to search out for ourselves. Nothing is free. In order to be profitable, you're going to have to invest in the process. You're going to have to dig it out. That means taking out your tools and digging deep, even through the hard surface of your life. He goes on to say, the which when a man hath found to find hidden treasure means a person must look and dig, use certain tools, like I just said, to find what's hidden. What kind of tools? What kind of tools do we use to seek out the better things in life, spiritual life? Prayer, praise, meditation, con- consecration. These are all things that are of value to us, but are we using them for our benefit? Do we just talk about them, or are we making an application of of what they're there for? And it goes on again, He hideth, and for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he had and buyeth. He recognized what he had found, and he was willing to do anything He was willing to sell it all just to get that field because he knew if he could tap into that field, praise God, he was going to be wealthier than anyone could ever dream of. And so again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. It's the reason why Jesus talks about this twice. Who when he found one pearl of great price, just one, went and sold all that he had, and the Bible says he bought it. He bought it. It's amazing when you think about the church of the living God. When God God envisioned his church, do you think that he knew there was going to be struggles among the people? Yeah, he knew. He knew his church would struggle. He knew the struggles would be real. He also knew that he was going to have to work on us. He was going to have to invest in his future wife, the church. He was going to have to cultivate the soil. He was going to have to plow. If he wanted a harvest of fruit, the fruit that he desired, he was going to have to put in the work. And God would never require something of us if he wasn't willing to do it himself. He invested more than we could ever dream of. He invested his gifts, his talents, his desire, his emotions, his rejection. He invested everything, and he just didn't give 98%, friend. He gave 100%. And sometimes we hold back. What do we hold back? We hold back two mites. Because we're so comfortable feeling that we gave a lot. Hey, God, I gave you 98%. Isn't that enough? No. 
if you want a lot, you've got to give everything. What did he give for us to sit in this place tonight? He didn't give 98%. The Bible says he gave everything. He laid down his life for his wife, for the church, so you could enjoy the benefits. And in order for us to enjoy the benefits, he had to lay down everything so you could enjoy the talents, the gifts, the relationships. And I think there's many reasons why we fall short in our relationship with Jesus because we don't give everything that we could have. We stop short. And maybe we fall short because we only do give 98%. And I think it's just me. God was dealing with me on this. I think that I must come to a point where I realize if I don't totally invest, if I don't invest totally, then where is my commitment to God? Where is my devotion to God? You see, in order for Jesus to recognize each and every one of us, in order for Jesus to recognize our efforts, we must give all, which is the remaining two mites. And that's why this woman was so recognized. Because in her previous, and this is just me, this is just me thinking, and I'm not, this isn't canonized, this isn't, I'm just saying, in life, in our previous relationships, maybe we faltered. Maybe we haven't tapped into the, what God really has for us because we're only giving 95%. What would happen if we gave that last 2%? How would God see us? Would God recognize us in the fact that he's looking at somebody that gave everything? Mark 12, 42, it says, And there came a poor woman, a poor widow who threw in two mites, which make a farling, and he called unto his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, this poor widow hath cast in more. But it was only two mites. They were confounded because they didn't understand. Everybody else was pouring more into it, and it looks good on the surface, but is their heart really in it? Are they really giving everything? Or is our lifestyle a surface lifestyle and it's not really as deep as we proclaim it to be? Now maybe it is for you. For me, there's some checks and balances in my life. There's more that I could do. This woman had cast in, uh, he said, Verity, I say unto you that this poor widow had cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. 
for they all did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I asked myself, when I I first got into church, There were some things that were very productive in my life, but I, I fell short. I did. And uh, I loved serving God. Yes, I did. I loved that previous relationship. But I have to tell you, in, in front of God, my idea of serving God in those days, my idea of love was really warped. And if my love for God was warped, and my love for God is warped, I can never experience a true fulfillment of what we can glean from God. I'm trying to challenge you. I'm trying to get you to understand. If we're living for God halfway, you'll never experience the true liberty and benefits that God has for you. I know, I know the story. I know it was only two mites to us, but two mites can represent so much more if we want a relationship to grow. And if we want the relationship to grow, we have to be willing to invest everything, all of it. Everyone say all of it. And so how do we... How do we shift the way we think? What are some steps towards this paradigm shift of strengthening our relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, there's a couple ways we can do it. We touched on them previously. There's prayer and fasting and consecration. So the question is, how does prayer bind us to God? How does our relationship develop? Prayer binds us to God because God knows everything we need before we ask. He puts us into a position where he wants us to ask. God wants to bless us. Brother Raul, you don't mind me sharing? Uh, Do you mind me sharing? Uh, He... Brother Raul thought he owed so much money, and he went, and he didn't owe that much money. You know what? It might have only been $100 to you, or, or to us, but to you, it was a blessing from God. That was one of your two mites. Yes, That's awesome. He was thinking about paying $500. She says, no, you only owe $400. He says, thank you, Jesus. He acknowledged that God had blessed him. And he literally told me, that was a blessing from God. I said, yes, it was, bro. Yes, it was. And God works in insignificant ways. It doesn't doesn't seem like a big deal, but God sees your life. He sees where you came from. He sees the steps you're taking. He sees your investment. And he wants to bless you because you know why? The next trial is going to come, 
and the more trials come on your life, you're going to look back and you're going to say, if God can bless me for $100, why can't God bless me for $1,000? Why can't God bless my relationship, my marriage, my job, so on and so on and so on? It never stops. It never stops. But if you're willing to give your two mites, which could be your emotions, who knows what it is, whatever it is, if you're willing to invest everything into the kingdom of God, into the relationship that he's trying to establish with you, if you're willing to give 100% and don't hold back two mites, I know it's only two mites, but give it all. And he'll bless you. He'll bless you. Prayer binds us to God because he knows what we need before we ask. We're specifically told to pray and ask that we might have fellowship with him and learn to depend on him. But we never want to take advantage of him. We never want to put him, per se, to the test. We just want to praise him and let him open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that we cannot contain. Amen. Number two is fasting. Why is fasting so powerful? Fasting is a biblical way to truly humble ourselves in the sight of God. It allows us to tap into that place where it's just you and God. It cleanses you. Praise God. It opens your mind to receive and to receive the, the sensitivity and, and communication with God as you begin to communicate with him and commune with him. There's something about fasting. There's something about getting into the presence of God. It's powerful. And finally, number three is consecration. The word consecrated means to be set apart. So prayer puts you in a place where you can be sensitive to God through fasting. And now you have that open line of communication where you set yourself apart. A consecrated person People, consecrated people are set apart to love and live for God and his church benefits. Praise God. They've done it all through time. Amen. They've consecrated. They've set themselves apart. Desire for God. They didn't want to live 25% of the time for God. They didn't want to live 50% of the time for God. They didn't want to live 75% of the, for, for God. They didn't want to live 98%. They wanted to live 100%. And when they did, they didn't have to lift a finger in battle. All they did was praise God. They went out with songs and praises in the face of the enemy, and the enemy was destroyed. So regardless of where you are, regardless of how you see things, I want to ask you this in closing. How does God see you? How does God see you? When you're giving everything, I'll tell you how God sees you. He sees you as he saw this woman that gave up all that she had. When you're willing to give God your life, which includes your emotions, your desires, your talents, your finances. No telling what God will do. No telling what God will do.
Why do I say that? Because he loves you. He loves you. Amen. And when God loves you, even your enemies will become at peace with you. Praise God. What's your enemies? Your emotional difficulties. Your finances. When you're struggling, praise God. You don't know where the next dime is. Trust God. Set yourself apart from everything. Your thoughts, your emotions, everything. Give it all to God and trust him. And he will never, ever, ever let you down. Amen. Let's stand. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Let's lift our hands and let's just thank him. I love you, Jesus. You're a mighty God. You're a mighty God, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. These altars are open.